The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. So welcome. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity.fm online radio. My name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and I am your host. Here on Spirit of Recovery, we talk about how spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. So this program is open to everyone, addicts, alcoholics, family members, friends, coworkers, anybody whose life is touched by addiction. According to recent research, over 46% of the American public has a family member or friend that struggles with an addiction issue. So our goal is to carry the message of spirituality in recovery. We do this by exploring the many faces of spirituality through the experiences of and the lessons learned by those that are taking this journey. We hope that you will not only hear a few things you already know, but also get new ideas and information, new perspectives, and perhaps some tips that you can put into practical use in your own journey. We know that you will deepen your spiritual walk in recovery as a result. So please invite your friends to join us online or by downloading the podcast. We have over seven years of recovery-oriented radio shows in the library, and they're available through Stitcher, iTunes, Alexa, or on the web. Just search for Spirit of Recovery. So we want to say thank you to all of you that are joining us today. Thanks for listening. So in 12-step recovery, we learn that the first word of the first step is we, and we are not alone. We find that we need community. So our guest today, Heather B., was suffering in isolation, alone in a crowd even, and yet she knew she had to find the right community to feel connected to God. She's a hospice nurse, a mother of three, and a yoga practitioner. She currently lives in western North Carolina where she enjoys her family and friends, her work, and the outdoors, as well as exploring her spiritual path and recovery through a variety of different avenues, which we'll talk about today. So thank you, Heather, for sharing your story with us today. Thanks, Lonnie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're really glad that you're they're willing to do this. And so, um, you know, when I talked with you before the show, you made a comment. I, I told you that 46% number and you said only 46%. <laughs> you want to expand on that a little bit? It just seemed um, like a low number to me somehow. I think in my experience, I, I, um, I don't know that I have a friend or have met many people that haven't had their lives touched by addiction in some way. And uh, so I was just surprised. And um, I think in my experience um, growing up, and it's just uh, it's just part of, of life. And also with my hospice nurse experience, um, there are many, many people who I take care of and who I meet whose lives are, are touched in some way by 
uh, addiction, there's either a family member or themselves or friends or somebody. So I was just surprised. So that's why I said that only 46%. So you grew up in this family where your family, where drinking was normal, right? Just like a normal part of life? Yeah, I grew up in, um, well, I'm the oldest of five. Uh, When I, uh, my parents were um, teenagers when I was born. My dad was 19, my mom was 17, and my dad was the oldest of nine. So my youngest aunt was only five years older than me, and I grew up in this uh, very large extended family and um, our gatherings, and they still continue to be this way today. Um, alcohol is a really big part of those gatherings. So it's just, um, it just was normal. And, you know, certainly there's different levels of how much each person drinks in the family. But, I mean, it's, it's just always been a part of life for me. It just was. Didn't even really think about it, you know, until I got older. Mm-hmm. And um, except for, um, and we may talk about this more, but um, as uh, I began to learn more about my mother's side of the family, then I think I began to think about it a little bit more. And into my 20s, realizing that not every every family was like mine. <laughs> so your experience growing up was just that it was a normal part of life and it didn't create any real problems in your family system? Um, you know, it didn't really as a child, I think I didn't I wasn't aware of that. But in my my immediate family system, um, there's been a lot of, um, and I will say, like with my mother's side of the family, so I really have it coming from both sides. Um, I have uh, my dad's family where it was just large Catholic family. Everybody drank. And then on my mom's side of the family, also a large Catholic family with eight children. Uh, my grandfather um, was an alcoholic and he, by the time I was born, he was in AA. He was in recovery, spent the rest of his life from that time on um, as a sober person, very active in his AA life, in his community. Um, but in my immediate family, um, it really, alcoholism and addiction has been um, a big a big problem in our immediate family. And I think it's touched all of our lives in a deep way. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things yeah. when people hear the word alcoholic, um, they tend to think about the guy under the bridge, yep. you know, with the brown paper bag. But even though you say that all of these people in your family had had challenges or problems or incidents with alcohol, I'm guessing that that was not your experience, that you didn't see people under the bridge with the bag. No, we, I did not see people under the bridge, uh, with a bag. I wasn't a person under the bridge with a bag or, you know, it's funny because as I was growing up, when I would think about alcoholics, um, I would think of like people passed out in their front yards and not having jobs and not having, um, people around them, you know, just being rejected really. And so losing, you know, losing everything. And that was not my experience. Um, I really was, uh, I guess you could say high functioning alcoholic and that's pretty much um how most people in my family are with the exception of a couple and um 
So my story isn't one uh, where I ended up under the bridge. My story is more a story of um, isolation and loneliness and just quietly um, drinking, you know, mostly alone and, um, and, see, and, see, and in secret. So I really maintained a pretty high functioning life. I mean, I worked and I had my children and I had my whole life. But meanwhile, it was almost like a double life. Which is very yeah. common. Yes. Yes. So so uh, in that large Catholic family, you felt alone. Yes. And you know what's interesting? Um, I mean, in some ways I felt alone. But in some ways there's a lot of camaraderie in drinking, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean – uh, I have to say that um, in in sobriety, um, I am alone in that in my family. Um, there are not many sober people in my family. And there are people that are not alcoholics. And there are people that may be, and I don't know. Um, I've got um, a couple other family members that um, have been sober. Um, but I I am often the only person at a family function not drinking. Um, I will say I have one aunt that has never drank her whole life. So that's, that's interesting to me. So you shared when we talked earlier about um, how you coped with the chaos that comes in a family system with, with this type of uh, dysfunction. Yeah, one of the ways that I coped was really to sort of stay under the radar, you know, um, just try to be peaceful, get along with people, not um, uh, not get into conflicts. Um, I would be, I would just really try to get along with everybody. And I um, always viewed myself as a very um, easygoing person. Um, and just really tried to avoid conflict. Um, I had another tactic I'm remembering now as we're talking again. Um, when I was a child, um, I would read lots of books at family functions um, as a way to sort of be in my, my own world, I think, because of the chaos and things that were going on around me. Um, and then as I got older, I just tried to I've really just tried to get along with everybody. And that's one of my, that is one of my characteristics um, and strategies even to this day. Does it still work for you? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) I think so in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it doesn't. Although really, although really um, my highest self wants to um, have stronger connections with people. And if you are just going around minimizing and avoiding and denying, you're not really connecting. Mm-hmm. And so now I will, um, you know, step toward a difficult conversation or um, lean into something that is uncomfortable with somebody because I want to have stronger connections. I want to be closer with people and I want to know them and I want them to know me. And if we have a problem, I want to work it out. Even if it's uncomfortable. 
So I guess, I guess it doesn't work. (laughs) Avoiding. I may try it, you know, for a time (laughs) until I realize, well, gotta go in there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that we talked about also was how you did feel connected as a child. You know, I think you mentioned, um, you mentioned some things that, that made you feel connected to God specifically. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the ways, well, I always had sort of an added, uh, a feeling like if I thought about God, I would just, I had a, uh, a belief and it was, and I think when we talked earlier, I, I said it was sort of a blind faith. It was just a belief that God exists. God is loving. God loves me. I'm cared for. And my job was really to be a good person. But, um, one of the things, one of the ways that I really, um, have felt felt connected as a child and have specific memories about and still to this day feel connected is through nature. So I spent a lot of time outdoors as a child and I had a one of my family members in particular. Um, I spent a lot of time with her outdoors and I always felt uh, very connected when I was um, in nature, especially in the woods with trees and things. So is that a practice that you've carried with you? It is. It is. Um, And, uh, you know, I don't often, I don't always remember that I need that, though actually on a daily basis, I am, um, I uh, do have a practice of noticing the, noticing, you know, the plants that are growing in my yard and when I'm driving and the trees and I, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in a incredibly beautiful place in the mountains here in North Carolina. And it's beautiful. I mean, you could just drive down the street and it's beautiful. And so, um, I just do honor that in my life every day. And sometimes I get to, you know, I honor it. I, I get connected to nature. You know, I take long walks and hikes and swim in the river and things like that. That really make me feel connected to something greater than myself. Mm-hmm. So what was your um, youth like in terms of your practical training? You said you had this large Catholic family on both sides. Did you grow up then practicing Catholicism? Uh, we weren't really, um, we were more the kind of Catholics that went to church. I mean, from time to time, my mom would have us be participating more on a regular basis. And I would, I went to Sunday school a couple of times, a couple of times in my life. I actually attended Catholic school. Um, but mainly we went for big holidays and, um, I really did get drawn to the, um, ritual of the Catholic church and uh, enjoyed the tradition and the ritual, uh, but we weren't we weren't really um, you know we were we weren't really um, I don't know how to say it uh, the word I'm looking for but like we didn't go all the time and we weren't really part tar- participants in the in the faith community necessarily. So, um, but you know, uh, church, uh, you know, and I didn't question that very much as a child and a youth, you know, it was like that we were born Catholic and that's how it was kind of like with drinking, you know, that's just how it was. I didn't have a lot of uh, questioning about it. I didn't know about other uh, religions or other options until I got older. 
Oh, I think that's probably pretty normal not to know about others. Yeah, unless unless you have a family that explores a lot, you know, and that wasn't ours. So, yeah. So I think it was probably more in my um, 20s when I began to be exposed to some other ideas, um, other possibilities for faith. Why didn't why didn't you re-explore the Catholic Church? Did you think you'd already experienced it? Um, no, I think that I realized um, that one that I didn't have some of the core beliefs about about things that are teachings of the Catholic Church. And I guess one I'm thinking of is mainly, you know, I had this, even as a child, I had this experience where I remember sitting in church and they were talking about, I don't even remember the context or anything, but it was like this idea of hell. And I just literally was like, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that hell exists. And so sort of like at some point having awareness that I, you know, I just didn't, I don't believe in things like guilt and um, punishment and um, that God is a punishing. I just didn't believe that. And I recognized I didn't believe that. So um, that made me feel like, why go to a place where you know that you're not really going to fit in and try to fit in, you know? Mm -hmm. So you had this kind of um, uh, integrated reaction to all of that as a child, so it didn't hold any appeal for you then. Yeah, and, and like I said, I still found, and I, and in some ways, I still find like the tradition very comforting in a way. Somehow, you know, mm-hmm. maybe because of childhood, but I just know it's not for me. So you had this kind of a childhood that you've described up to this point, and arrived in your twenties. Um, how would you characterize? yourself at that point in time young adult on your own foot loose and fancy free yep that's pretty much it <laughs> yes i was um i actually ended up uh moving in with uh an an aunt of mine and i lived in ann arbor michigan and i just um that is actually where I first started. I first was exposed to yoga was through my aunt and the same aunt with the nature and everything. So, um, but however, in my twenties, I also, um, was a pretty heavy drinker. And, and I would say like in my early twenties, more, it was more binge type drinking. Um, you know, it changed as I got older into my thirties. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I remember, um, you know, that I didn't have, I still did not have awareness that, that the way that I drank was not normal, um, except occasionally I would have a little flash of insight, um, and I would question my drinking and I would think to myself, you better watch out. You know, you could have a problem here if you're not careful. And so I had those thoughts like maybe two or three times were very clear to me. Um, but it didn't really change my behavior very much. I would just think, well, I'll be okay. I won't let it get that way. I won't let it get bad. 
and uh, we just carried on, just carried on. I met my husband in my early 20s when I was 22, and um, that was one thing that we did together was drinking together. And so we just had, uh, uh, you know, uh, especially in the beginning, you know, it just wasn't all bad. It wasn't, it wasn't really bad. We enjoyed, we had a lot of fun and enjoyed it. And it seemed, it was just normal and how it was. So how did you know it wasn't working for you anymore? Um, let's see. So as I got, um, into my later years of drinking, I realized that I, you know, there were times, so even in my 20s, there were times, and probably when I would think those thoughts like, you better watch out, this could be a problem, you know, I wouldn't always make the best decisions. You know, I would have regrets. I would um, realize that I would was behaving in a way that I would not normally behave um, if I had been sober. And so I began to uh, realize that there was, you know, if I made bad decisions, it was usually because I'd been, I had been drinking. And um, also um, the double life part was really starting to be a conflict for me. And I would do, uh, I would do things like limit myself and try to quit. And I just could not be successful at that. And so then I, I began to realize I was really getting into trouble. And that probably only just made the isolation worse. Yes, it did, because I really did not share my uh, struggle with anybody. Um, my husband knew some about my struggle, but I don't think he even realized the depth of what was happening to me inside and um, the pain that I was experiencing and the um, re- I guess real fear for where things were going for me. And being a hospice nurse, I also had a couple of um, experiences with patients that were really um, helping me to open my eyes about my own situation and how uh, I knew I didn't want to be living the way I was living and going down the path I was going. So what I'm hearing, I think, is that um, the denial lifted slowly in your case. That there was not any car wrecks or sudden events or, you know, fired from the job or any of those things that we oftentimes think about. Yeah. And, you know, um, the other thing about my kind of situation is that from the outside, people don't really know. they, They would like maybe look at me and not and they would have no idea, you know, and um, I'm so good at hiding. Uh, the amount that I drank or how I drank that people just didn't have any idea. You know, when I finally did get sober, even my own son was like, what? (laughs) You're what? You know, so it's very um, isolating and secretive. So what, what caused you to turn the corner? Well, ultimately, um, I had been trying to quit drinking and I would sort of, you know, I would, I would give it a go and, you know, I might make it a month and then I would 
be back at it. And then like, and literally it was like the next year I'd try again and I'd get a couple weeks. And then the next year it was like a, a week and I was really starting to get worried at this time. And uh, my husband actually was uh, quite a heavy drinker himself and things started to go really downhill for him. He took a turn and ended up going into a treatment facility. So as he was really on the downward spiral, I started to, um, uh, I started to, to taper myself, um, off of drinking and I, um, ended up just quitting, um, and abstaining from alcohol while he was in, in treatment. And from, and since that time I have been sober um, so I, so that really facilitated me and I was really in some ways, um, celebrating inside because I was, re- I was really ready for something to happen. And so even though it was really hard, I was really, I had a lot of relief, like finally, this is finally happening. We're finally going to do it because it was very, it felt very hard for me to quit while, while he was still drinking. Because it was just intertwined with us. And so um, I ended up quitting and uh, he went to treatment and I started going to Al-Anon. And I felt uh, like a, you know, I felt like a hypocrite. <laughs> I felt, um, you know, I was going to Al-Anon, which I, I think I really needed and perhaps, uh, you know, I continue to need in lots of ways. but. Um, I felt like I was keeping a big secret when I was there and not really sharing with the group. So uh, it wasn't until about six months later that I started attending AA and uh, it was a real struggle. I had a lot of pride and difficulty in admitting to my alcoholism uh, because I'd been keeping a secret for so long. And uh, I finally saw the loving community that he was surrounded by and I knew that if I wanted to be successful, I wanted to, uh, I needed to get myself around some people that were doing that so I could get some support. So you couldn't get the support you needed in Al-Anon while you were still drinking? Uh, and I wasn't drinking when I went to Al-Anon, but oh, I wasn't right. admitting, but I wasn't admitting that I was an alcoholic. Uh-huh. And I felt like it was yet another secret I was keeping. Mm-hmm. And I was just being part of another group where I had this whole thing going on and I wasn't sharing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I did get support in a lot of ways through Al-Anon, but not what I needed. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's when I realized, like, I've really got to get myself around some people, some other women. Okay, and so we're going to um, hold that thought at this point because we're going to be taking a break. And if you're just joining us, we're, our guest is Heather B., And she's been sharing about her journey and her experience with addiction, as it's called alcoholism, in terms of... Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, 
we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. What does unity mean to me? We came at a time in our lives when it was just the right time. We needed uh, we needed to work on our spiritual lives, and it just felt like such an awesome fit. I think it's about um, knowing that you have uh, the power through prayer and thought to change your life, to control your life. It is my spiritual home. It is my community. It is a place where I am affirmed. I was so fed up with the traditional way in which, quote, religion, end of quote, was activating things around the world. And one of my students suggested that I come. And on that particular Sunday, and I share this with Wendy all the time, she spoke only to me. And I found a community. Find out more. Visit unity.org. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Experience the healing power of sacred sound. Join Ramdesh every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central for Spirit Voyage Radio. Each week, Ramdesh explores the world of mantra and other forms of spiritual music. Listen to interviews with spiritual musicians and other fascinating guests and get inspired by beautiful devotional music. Explore the ancient mystical world of Kundalini Yoga from the empowering perspective of new thought. Don't miss Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh every Thursday on Unity Media Network. If you've been thinking of going vegan or you have been following a vegan lifestyle for years, the Main Street Vegan Academy Cookbook will become your go-to resource. Victoria Moran, J.L. Fields, and certified vegan lifestyle coaches will show you how easy and delicious it can be to go vegan. With over 100 plant-based recipes, you'll never get bored, and the book is packed with tips and strategies to transform your cooking and your life. Available now at Amazon.com or your local bookstore. To join the show, use the live chat window or call now, 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome back. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, your host. And our guest today is Heather B., And before we continue our conversation, please join me as we take a few moments to center ourselves in a serenity minute. So as we pause, I invite you to take a deep breath and then to relax and focus on this constructive thought. Home is the awareness that wherever I am, God is. Home is the awareness that wherever I am, God is. And we'll just take a few moments with the music. 
So thank you for joining me in this Serenity Minute. So you've joined us as we're speaking with Heather B., our guest on the show today. And before the break, Heather was sharing about her journey, about her family life, about how alcoholism and addiction showed up for her because it was not in the typical manner. And if you are just now joining us, you may want to go back and listen to that part. So we're going to resume our conversation and talk about how she felt connected in nature and how that led into her current spiritual journey. So, Heather? Yes. Hey. So you said, you mentioned before that um, you had found yoga in your early 20s. Was that a piece of your journey? Yes, it was. Um, it was It was the beginning. Um, I uh, had a few different experiences. Um, uh, again, uh, my aunt keeps popping up. So um, with my aunt uh, introducing me to yoga. And um, also, um, I'm just remembering now just these um, interesting ideas about like, about your thoughts and how uh, your thoughts can help you to create uh, your reality in the world. So that was really like the first time I ever um, heard things like that in that particular way. And um, so I start, I just, I I was introduced to yoga. Um, It really took me some time to get, um, into a regular practice of yoga, um, but it is the first, my first real spiritual path uh, as an adult that I that I chose and that I really resonated with, and um, I uh, ended up getting deeper into yoga um, around the time that my second child was born, and. Um, even when I was pregnant with her, I, I started doing it on a regular basis. And uh, yes. So one of the things, yes, I do. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they think about yoga, they think about stretches and poses and maybe some breathing type of thing. What makes yoga yeah. a spiritual path for you? Um, well, I think that in some ways, that's kind of how it started out for me. But um, I ended up uh, starting to do um, another style of yoga that was very uh, heart centered, and I began to learn about um, about um, like that we really like a message of um, all each one of us is an expression of the divine. And um, a different expression of the divine and that the divine delights in each one of us and doing yoga and um, began to be a very, uh, even though I might be doing things with my physical body, it was an expression of who I am inside of my heart in an energetic way. And um, also, I really began to resonate with this idea that there is just this uh, pulse of life in the universe that just exists and that we are all, we all um, can like be, it's like a flow, kind of like a flow of energy and a, and a pulsing flow of energy and that we can just tap into that and become a part of that. So that is how 
uh, yoga became a spiritual path for me. And it became this way that I would feel while I was, you know, it might be breathing, it might be breath work, and it might be physical asana, it might be um, a meditative kind of thing, but I would feel the energy of something greater than myself and allow that feeling to come through me and express out into the into the room or into the world, putting that energy out into the world. That sounds like that connection that you never had. Yes. And I think I had glimpses of it, but then, um, you know, like I was talking about like with the nature and things like that as a child. And then uh, like the feeling that I had that, that God was just a loving presence. But I think yoga just helped me to take it into a, in a deeper way and a more expressive way. And, you know, it's not something that I went around in the world talking about, but it's just something that I just began to, um, try to express in my life, in my daily life and in my interactions with people. You know, I, I, I was drawn to yoga because I wanted to, uh, live a life of harmony. And I had this idea that if I just did yoga and practice that I would have more harmony in my life. And, um, instead, you know, um, I guess, you know, I would say I do have more harmony in my life, but life still just happens. But when you have spiritual practices, you can maintain or uh, have more awareness and maintain more harmony while all the things are happening in your life anyway. Mm -hmm. And that was in your 20s when you were still active. Um, that was in my late twenties and early thirties. Yes. While I was still, uh, actively drinking. And I will say though, I had periods in my life where I didn't drink nearly as much, especially when I was, uh, you know, when I was pregnant, I, um, abstained from alcohol. And so I did have these periods of, of, uh, you know, long chunks of time where I abstained and then, like, in between pregnancies. And then, of course, after um, all the children were born, um, I picked it up again. And it took some time um, for it to get to the, to the really, you know, the really heavy drinking part where it was time, where I began to be even more concerned and realized I was really going down the path that um, I did not want to be going down. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, during that time, um, all during that time, I had been practicing yoga and um, learning and learning and doing yoga immersions and really trying to understand and take it in. And it's um, and there, it, it was challenging at times because I um, uh, I still you know believed in God. And it's, it was hard for me to, um, and still isn't, I still believe I'm on the journey, you know, really understanding what I have a belief and a faith in the power and presence of God, but how does that fit into all the, to like Eastern practices and how that works for me? That is a great question. How does that fit in? <laughs> because I think well, you mentioned you mentioned before that you're still exploring and you've you've explored some other spiritual paths. Yeah. You want to share with us about those? Yeah. Well, you know, um, as you know, I got into Unity. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on this show. <laughs> and so um, I uh, started working in hospice um, in uh, two thousand. Uh, three. 
and um, we moved down to North Carolina and uh, we got involved in a homeschooling community. And, you know, we were people like I, you know, I'm doing yoga and we weren't really, uh, we didn't participate in any church home or anything like that. When you're in the South, uh, that's a big topic. And uh, we started getting exposed to all kinds of ideas and things that I wasn't really um, believing in. And, uh, and my kids were. And so I began to explore, like, I felt like it would be nice for us to have a church home of some kind and to be um, connecting and having community and learning about faith and God and things like that. So I started talking about it with one of my coworkers and she said, I think you need to come to my church. I think you might like unity. So I ended up going to the Unity Church in Mills River, North Carolina, and um, I just cried the first time I went. You know, I had my da- my little daughter with me at the time. She was sitting on my lap, and I was in the back of the church, the very back row, and uh, it was Palm Sunday. And, you know, I loved, like I said before, I love rituals and traditions, and I certainly love the, even, you know, just... uh I, I, you know, the Palm Sunday story, it's, it's moving for me, you know, and it, it always brings it, it brings like some sadness for me anyway, but, um, and bittersweetness. But, um, anyway, I went and I just cried and I was like, wow, I didn't know this, anything like this existed. And it made me, it, you know, it was similar. I was getting like similar messages to what I would get in yoga. And I went home and I was like, honey, I think you should, you know, check this out. We should, we should try this. And we started going to unity. So, um, I, and then, you know, um, I will share, you know, later my husband became a unity minister and we just continued our exploration of unity. And, um, it was a gift to be out in, uh, when we lived during the time he was in seminary, I really got to deepen my knowledge of unity and, um, what it entails and, and learn and learn and learn. And, and just experience that too. So that's definitely a part of my path. And go ahead. One of the things that I find um, interesting is this draw to spirit, this draw for connection, that even while you're still drinking, <laughs> that both yoga and unity spoke to you and still yes. calls you forward. Yes, it did. And I... um I think, you know, that there's always been a part of me that has wanted that connection and it just never went away, you know, even even with drinking and anything else I might try to do to uh, avoid it. And so I guess um, uh, it just came through, kept coming through. And... Um, and also, you know, I don't know that I'm ever going to stop exploring and learning and being drawn to spirit. I um, think that uh, uh, being a hospice worker um, also has been a part of my spiritual journey. And, um, you know, always being exposed to people in the at the end of life and on that journey. Um, makes you think and feel and uh, want to understand and question. And um, I just don't know that I'm, you know, I don't have the answer. I'm never going to have the answer, but I'm always going to want to be drawn to spirit. 
and 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 exploring what that means for me and um, continuing to be open to new ideas and new ways of connecting and also trying to always deepen my practice of compassion being a compassionate loving human being you know um, that's a practice so how do these ideas including compassion overlap between yoga unity and your current, you know, hospice work, whatever yeah. other practice you're involved with. Yeah, and well, I guess, um, I guess it's been about um, two or three years now, and I began to um, start listening to some Dharma talks. Some I began exploring Buddhism, and I started listening to um, a lot of Dharma talks by Sharon Salzberg, and um, in particular. And um, maybe some other famous Buddhist practitioners, and um, I really uh, started um, being really drawn to teachings on loving kindness and compassion. And um, I think, uh, and I'm I'm continuing that. And um, these days, I've really I. Um, rediscovered Joan Halifax recently. Well, I guess it's been maybe the last year or so. And another um, Buddhist hospice person, Frank Ostaseski. And I I, I just find um, that I'm really, really fed by their teachings. And um, particularly with Joan Halifax and Frank Ostaseski on um, grief and with Sharon Salzberg on loving kindness and also on compassion, and um, it really does for me all. You know, maybe it all it all connects for me. Um, all the spiritual paths that I've been on with yoga and unity and Buddhism and my hospice work. Um, I think that um, there there are messages about. Um, cultivating compassion and and faith in all of those paths and so they do intertwine together and um i'm still working on uh sorting it all out i may not ever sort it all out you know there's a part of me that just sort of accepts that i'm drawn to these things and these ideas and um it doesn't really matter to me necessarily um about being on one path or the other. So, what, yeah, God doesn't live in a box. With, right. With, with a certain exactly. name on it. Right. Uh-huh. That God exists and we can find we can find God in many different ways with many different voices and uh, different experiences. And the real, I think the real um, thing for me is um, in how how do I want to be in the world and um, and be living, you know, a spirit-filled life as best that I can. And, um, you know, I think especially with my work, I it really makes me um, think about, you know, uh, I don't know how long I'm here for. And I know that might sound dramatic, but it's the truth. And, you know, so how do I want to be? Who do I want to be? How do I want to be? What do I want to be giving? You know, so I think that that's part of uh, 
why I'm always exploring things because I, I really do know what kind of person I want to be loving, compassionate, accepting, um, have equanimity as much as I possibly can, which I think is easy. It's like a word you can just say. It's so easy to say it and the idea, but like the practice of that is so challenging. So how do you practice that? Um, I keep learning. Um, I keep exploring and listening. I, um, one of the things that I'm really, really working on right now is having a steady meditation practice. I mean, I, I swear that there's been times in my life where like every time I have a question about something, the answer is like meditation. And I have felt resistant at times or I felt like it's an impossible task, <laughs> but, um, I'm really committed, uh, to, um, working on a regular meditation practice because I don't know how it works or why it works, but I find that it does help me. And what it helps me to do is to be more present and to have more awareness. And so um, when I'm bringing more awareness, and I guess you could say mindfulness to the experiences of my life, then I'm much more likely to be able to choose to be compassionate and to choose to be, you know, to, to not let myself be swayed so much by what's going on around me and to be able to stay calm and, and have a sense of, uh, be really being able to be present for whatever's happening in my life. So if somebody came to you today and said, well, what worked for you? Um, out of all the places you've been, how would you respond? Um, so I guess, you know, and I have to say that there's, so it's not, that's not like a one word answer. I don't think I have a one word answer for that because I feel like there are all these like threads that worked for me and at different times, different things worked for me. But I will say that the thing one of the things that I think is so important in the beginning is to have to create a community for yourself of support. Authentic community. Authentic community of support. And the other thing that worked for me is to be connected to spirit. To know that there is something greater than me out there that lo- that is that is uh loving and so i notice when you're sharing that um you're not using pronouns with this entity no i don't and i i did you know growing up catholic i always thought of god as a he a man being up in the sky and uh when i started going to um like you know, some years into it, really, I started to really, really begin to try to work with this idea of God as a power and a presence. And um, it was it was really uncomfortable at first because my mind was trained to think of God in this particular way. But I really wanted a more expansive, bigger God than the God that I had. And so I just began to work with it. I just began to like explore that idea of God as a power and a presence. So I will not put limits on God as by you, on God is by using pronouns <laughs> because I feel truly for, for me, what works for me is this idea of God as a power and a presence, a loving presence that 
is with us through good and through bad. It's not like a, it's not a human. It's not a, an, an individual. It's just a power and a presence. And it, it's, that is working for me right now. Um, and I think I, I feel very um, settled with that uh, interpretation of God these days. So which brings you full circle back to the acceptance that you talked about, that yeah. not need to define as much as you need to accept. Yes, and to be open to, yeah, yeah, to accept and be open to, you know, a, a different idea, like out-of-the-box idea of uh, of God. And, and pretty much, you know, in lots of things, really, you know, in who we are. You know, to not limit ourselves by being in a box, to be, be able to be more expansive about who we who we actually really are at our deepest level. So one of the things that we talked about previously as well had to do with um, sometimes languaging makes a big difference, like you're just talking about with the pronouns, um, and can be disempowering. Yes. Yes. And um, I did find that. You know, I, I guess in my journey of recovery, I slowly um, began to realize, and at one point just had like a real awakening about my about being in recovery, and um, I began to realize that when I would go to just typical AA meetings, that the the languaging was becoming harder for me with the he and his and him. And um, even like in the first step that I'm powerless over alcohol, I guess at some point I began to realize that I was actually not powerless, that I was actually very powerful, and that um, every single day I get to use the power of my choice to be sober or not. And I think really what it was is someone said this thing to me. And uh, it seems so simple right now, but she was like, we're all self-determined. And I was like, wait a minute, me too. I'm self-determined. That means I get to do whatever I want. I get to choose. Like I actually get to do whatever I want. And it made me feel very powerful. So that means I get to be sober because I choose to be sober because I want to. That's how I want to live my life. And every day I get to be a powerful woman that gets to make that decision. I mean, I make decisions all the time. But that's one thing that I get to make a decision about every day. And so um, I did. So I, I just did begin to realize that there was some languaging that was that was limiting for me. And I like this other languaging about being powerful over what I get to choose and, and to choose and not and to not choose to do. So we've got about a minute left. And if you could summarize, what do you think is the most important thing that you want to share with others? Um, I think the most important thing I want to share with others is some of what I've already said about having a community, about really, really letting yourself be a part of a community. And maybe that's because I was so isolated for so long mm-hmm. that it's really important to find someone couple of people you can be with. And the other thing I would say is to not limit yourself and not limit your ideas about who you are and your God and what you're able to do. To continue to open up your heart, open up your mind, be expansive and see um, 
if you're willing to find some ways to explore so that you can be even more connected to spirit and become a powerful person. Well, thank you, Heather, because I think you've shared some very important insights with us today. Thank you so much, Lonnie. Thanks for having me. You bet. And thank you to our listeners and our callers. And we appreciate you being here with us today. You can connect with us on Facebook if you want. The page is called Spirit of Recovery. Give us your thoughts or feedback. And we invite you to join us next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And so in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.